Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. This podcast contains explicit language. So that happened. This week, the GOP released their budget proposals, and it's good news if you like massive cuts in discretionary spending and a bloated defense budget. We'll detail the broad strokes of a funding fantasia that probably won't pass and will likely lead to some new apocalyptic showdown. Meanwhile, Illinois Congressman Aaron Schock is resigning a seat after the public disclosure of his Downton Abbey-themed office inspired reporters to investigate the numerous ways Schock was spending taxpayer money. But is this the best we can do when it comes to fighting government corruption? Sadly, yes. Finally, Starbucks has decided to take on race relations in America by asking their baristas to lead a national conversation about it. Are the baristas getting paid more? Will the coffee taste better? What exactly is a caramel flan latte? We have three white dudes on hand to talk about this, so sit back and listen to us make a sad, blundering hash of unformed thoughts and unintended microaggressions out of this topic. I'm Jason Lincolns with Huffington Post reporters Zach Carter and Arthur Delaney. We'll have all of this and more for you today, but here's what happened first. Ooh, that was rough. Me reading words. Good morning or afternoon. I don't know. I always start with like some kind of like time. Good, it's, good people of America, welcome to So That Happened, the globally famous show about events that have occurred in the past. Greetings. We're happy to see you. I'm Jason Lincolns, and I'm joined by Arthur Delaney, right, senior politics reporter from the Huffington Post, and also Zach Carter, senior economic reporter from the Huffington Post. You guys have great. Like job titles. Well, you can get you can get a title upgrade in lieu of a raise, so I opted for that. Me too. Not uh, there's a but you know there was a time when you worked for Huffington Post uh, where you wanted to have something like staff reporter in your name because people would always think that you were an unpaid blogger. Uh, if and yes, that, that distinction was very important for your your career whether you staff. were paid or not. Yeah, yeah. I used to do that. Uh, now I don't care about that. I yeah. like I like now all I care about is titles. Titles are great. I love my title. Titles, love it. that's, well, that, you know, that's good. That's good. My title is, you know. Fart sauce. Fart sauce. Exactly. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jason Lincoln's fart sauce for the Huffington Post. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the fart sauce hour. Um, so how's everybody's week going? Oh, man, it's been awesome. The politics news has been popping. Has been popping, popping and locking. So many different things. There's silliness. There's policy. It's a, it's a poo-poo platter of politics. And- <laughs> All right, well, let's get, let's, uh, you just want to get down to it, man. You don't even want to exchange pleasantries with us anymore. Yeah, why don't you talk about your dog or something? God. He had a tummy ache this morning. My dog oh. threw up on my bed on Wednesday. It was the worst. I got a note saying from our dog walker being like, yeah, your dog threw up on your bed. And you just know 
That is going to be terrible. My kid was throwing up last night, and my dog ate it, so I think that's why <laughs> he didn't feel good this morning. You had to admire, you had to admire his contribution to cleaning up your kid's puke. Though. We do admire it. We're, we always thank him. But I thought, well, if the kid has a bug, this could be, this could have repercussions, and it may, have, it may have happened. I like to think that your kid and your dog are going to have like adventures. Yeah, I, it, already they're having adventures in gastroenteritis or whatever. <laughs> Eating each other's puke. <laughs> okay. Well, there. See, there's the transition we needed, Arthur. Thank you. Because now we're going to talk about the the uh, the budget, the Republican budget. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like gastroenteritis. It's like a pile of puke. Right. You need a suppository to fix that shit? Saline drip. It oh, actually... Uh, they, get your game tight again. They came out with, uh, you know, as conservative a budget as seemed possible for them to just conceive out of thin air, which is how they did it. It's not designed to actually become law or, you know, be approved by the Senate or uh, by, by the president. And they still, they had a hiccup. The house budget committee couldn't even get it out on time. Why couldn't they get it out on time? Cause they're, they're having a, it's, it turns out that the, laundry ex, day. the extra money <laughs> they put in there to appease defense Hawks, uh, didn't, wasn't doing its appeasement job. And uh, <laughs> it wasn't the Neville Chamberlain of budget line items. Right. Like people just aren't happy. And so they're fighting over whether, you know, how much extra money they're going to throw at the military uh, lost in this. How are they going to raise proportion. How are they going to raise the extra money? They get the extra money by uh, just going to town on any s- social safety net spending. A lot of people were making fun of it because the, they uh, they it calls for the House and Senate budgets both call for enormous cuts to programs like Medicaid, food stamps, housing assistance, just everything. Uh, literally, there, there's a line for discretionary spending, which is like all the, all of the stuff that the government does that isn't basically health health insurance or or bombing stuff. Yeah, and and that that is cut by a trillion dollars. Yeah, I, I thought it was half a trillion, but uh, no, no, a full full T. And there's no specificity. I mean, in uh, in a, a budget committee's budget document, there typically isn't much specificity, but people were really remarking on it this week because of the magnitude of these cuts. So you're going to call for a trillion dollars, and it's for this category of spending that includes many programs, such as food stamps, and they just didn't say exactly what would happen. It's did kind the, of like the sequester, right? Where the sequester's just like, you gotta cut, uh, whatever, 15%. Did the military suddenly it. become skint or something? Because the last time I checked, they have a budget bigger than, I think, every other military on the planet. That's, a, that's there's a proportion to, mili- you know, a, an understanding of uh, military spending in relation to what the rest of the world spends on it that is just absolutely not staggering. part of this conversation. Right. Yeah, it is staggering. Like, we're number one. It's awesome. But... What's fresh in people's minds is the sequester. Remember the sequester? Yeah, I remember that. Where we deliberately cut everything, including the military, by about 5%. Right. For those of people who don't remember the sequester, and I feel like that's impossible, the sequester uh, or sequestration, to be grammatically correct, like grammatically correct douchebag. So how about, it was, it was a, it was a, a number. Verb. Yeah, sequester is a verb. Sequestration is a noun. Okay, we got that. We can just call it the number cluster fuck yeah, the, from 2013. The sequestration was came about as a part of the Budget Control Act, which impaneled a group of people called the, the Super Committee to make uh, a, to, to, to sort of craft that fabled grand bargain about entitlement spending and, and tax reform, blah, 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 they blah. They didn't do it. And they were like, they were like okay, so the, the stick... 
there's no carrots in this. The carrot is you get to call yourself a super committee. The stick is if you fail as a super committee, we cut the budget radically. And the way we've designed these budget cuts to be is like we imagine like what if a bunch of serial killers uh, and people who hated America went at our budget. And it was supposed to be so crazy and threatening, the super committee couldn't help but do something about it. Of course, they failed, and of course, we got stuck with, you know, the 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 I don't know the the Robert Durst of of budgets. <laughs> so so the, the sequester <laughs> happened. It hurt uh, all kinds of spending, discretionary spending. It didn't hurt right. mandatory spending, uh, which is things like social security. But it did cut from the military budget. It yeah, it's it made John McCain sad. Now there was a uh, a Patty Murray Paul Ryan budget that lifted some of the sequester, but we're still in a, a sequester world, and that's what the defense hawks are reacting sequester to. Sequester world, and, and it's where you wait in line and all the rides crash. It, it is interesting that the defense hawks have have uh, consolidated so much power within the House GOP because I think when we were, we were watching, gotta the, bomb somebody. Well, but you know, when we were watching the Tea Party races in the 2014 primaries, you know, the, the big question, the, the, the sort of talk of the town was, okay, well, well, will these you know small government Tea Party guys be able to to fend off the the sort of big business Republican nope. establishment guys? Nope. Right, but nope. And they, they they couldn't. But it nope. turns out that those big business Republican establishment guys are also big military, spend a lot on the military guys, um, and and we haven't seen a whole lot of of economic policy stuff coming out of of the House since since November uh, of 2014, but we have seen all of this stuff, uh, at least symbolic stuff, on, on the military. And when you, when you think about the stuff going on with ISIS and the authorization for the use of military force, the hawks have really, uh, it's, it's very interesting that the hawks have got so much power when just a few years ago, you know, Republicans were voting down uh, Obama efforts to, to bomb Syria. They were, they were criticizing the Obama invasion of Libya. So with a trillion dollars cut from non-military Discretionary spending. I mean, and that excludes the things they do to Medicare, right, right, Medicaid, right. Sure, and sure. Social Security, which yeah. also get whacked, except for Social Security. They say, huh, I, I, it's, what, this is it was, amazing. it's confusing to me. They, they, they say, we're going to voucherize Medicare, which right. is the Paul Ryan plan to uh, what Democrats said will end Medicare. Everybody gets no, a coupon for health care. It's not pegged exactly. to inflation. It's not pegged to, to wages. They're going to. As time goes on, it gets less and less valuable until it's, you know, like a like a cracker. Right. They would like they would also put a lid on Medicaid spending, put a lid on food stamp spending, but they they it, they came to Social Security and said, you know what, uh, someone's got to figure this out. This is literally what it says <laughs> in the budget summary. It says someone will have to figure this out in the text of the actual legislation. <laughs> somebody has to figure this out. Perhaps a bipartisan commission. <laughs> it doesn't even say definitely we need a bipartisan commission. It says one solution. Do could you be- realize that, like, if you boarded a plane today and be like, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be flying to San Diego today. Weather is, you know, nice, wind velocity regular. And uh, today the pilot plane will be piloted by a bipartisan commission. You get the fuck off that plane. <laughs> because they <laughs> they have a stunning record. So we had the bipartisan commission, the super committee. That didn't work. Right. We had the deficit commission that President Obama put together. Right. Way back when we, we had which it. Was, but which did deal with Social Security. Simpson-Bowles had had at least recommendations for Social Security, and it was a complete failure. And yet people, people look to this like a like a real icon of 
bipartisan accomplishment. Yeah. As, but Jason Lincoln's, you've pointed out many I, times. I think they go back to the old BRAC commissions. Their commissions have worked in the past. Well, yeah. I mean, when it's something like that, and you've got to like be able to like shut down bases without disrupting well, multi-state economies, and, people not, have a vested interest. In the early 1980s. No one uh, has a vested interest. <laughs> I, just, no, commissions have worked for social security, social security. They did reform and improve the solvency of social security in the early 1980s with a Greenspan commission. So there's a, there's a historical reason, uh, but it's just way predates all these fiascos we've had since. So that's what they're, they're taking a really long view. But it's just weird that they have to punt when they're willing to go at Medicare. I don't, I don't fully understand the politics of that. But anyway. Well, I think, I, think the, I think the reason they're punting on Social Security, even though they, they're willing to go at Medicare, is that they've, they've figured they already have to deal with the, the fallout from the Ryan budget from a few years ago. That, that, that sort of horse has left the barn. Oh, they're, they're knee-deep in Medicare, so like, we'll just stay here. Yeah, We're I, just in this mess already. Let's just keep, keep trucking. With a trillion dollars cut from non-military spending, I have to ask, does the Republican Party fancy ever wanting to like create a domestic policy program of any kind? No, now it's because they don't they no longer have the money to this do This trillion anything. dollar figure we're only using to refer to a specific slice of non-military spending. The overall figure is 5 trillion. And it's and it's a joke. I mean, the accounting on this is a total joke. Well, the uh it's what's so strange about this is that it's the budget committee document is supposed to be broad and theoretical and then Congress approves a budget, and then it is the job of committees of jurisdiction to figure out how, how they will achieve the savings the broader outline has called for. Uh, but so, so it's, theori- it's theoretical to begin with, but we are in yet another theoretical level where it does not appear they have any plan to eventually go through regular order with committees of jurisdiction to approve a budget that the president would sign. Yeah. I mean, so it's two orders of theoretical away from ever happening. I think Andrew Taylor with the Associated Press does the best job in his every story on this subject of helping the reminding the reader how far we are from any of these cuts actually taking effect, which is but, difficult to but do. But even if they did take effect, the accounting on them is ridiculous. The the you know they, they count you know billions of dollars in savings from eliminating the subsidies under Obamacare. Right. Republicans have said, you know, they haven't shown us an actual plan, but they've said for years, well, we want to repeal and replace Obamacare. Well, presumably you're going to replace it with something that actually costs money. And there's no there's no figure for what what their you know mythical as as yet un 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 sort of developed plan to replace it with will cost. Uh, it, it's it's like three orders of abstraction away away from reality when when you actually think about about the fact that they're going to have to actually govern if they if if this type of thing would were ever implemented. So we're so far in Plato's cave that we're <laughs> it's not even the shadow on the wall. We're looking at a reflection of the shadow on a different wall. We're, we're like two chambers deep. Uh, but anyway, so 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 they, they they say they eventually get something that it's possible because we will need a government funding this fall. Cromnibus returns. Something you know they it could be another uh. can kicking uh, or Cromnibus too. Yeah, we're gonna need a Cromnibus, or we're gonna have a government shutdown. And, and some people, for instance, Ben White at Politico say the way this is going portends very badly for the debt ceiling. Uh, which which is going to happen around the same time yeah. as the government shutdown. Got to mint that coin. Got to mint that trillion dollar coin. 
All right, so we'll okay, we'll move on to a different cave, a more ostentatiously decorated cave, Downton Abbey themed cave. This week, um, our, our good friend uh, and 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 uh, and and uh, friend of the show, friend of the show. He's not a friend of the show. He's never been on the show. Which is why we're gonna rip him a new asshole now. Aaron Shock. Oh. Aaron Shock, dude, the the flip cups of Instagram representative from from Illinois resigned. I was ugh, I'm gonna love this. I was shocked. Oh my god. I was uh, shocked. You are fired. Oh god, you yes. <laughs> you are demoted to junior reporter. <laughs> I, was, I was actually I want I want I want Zach's mic cut for the next 30 seconds. I, punishment. I, I was <laughs> no, actually stunned. I was actually stunned. I did not think he was gonna resign. You know, there was a story that said uh, the decorator who actually did the uh the office I was like this was not a Downton Abbey office. Uh, the congressman has great taste. All right, so <laughs> for those of you who maybe didn't catch like- this story the last time, uh, Aaron Schock, representative of Illinois, uh, he had a Washington Post reporter named Ben Terrace in his office. Ben Terrace noticed that that Aaron Schock's office was painted in a lot more ost- and decorated in a lot more ostentatious, fancy fashion than most Capitol Hill offices. Which, if you've ever been to Capitol Hill, it is like a wall-to-wall sea of concrete and khaki. And so Aaron Shark's office had like these like blood-red walls and sprays of pheasant feathers and all these kind of like very, very peculiar decorations. And the interior designer happened to be there. I was like, oh, I'll show you around. And so Ben Terrace snapped all these photographs. And the interior designer said, oh, well, you know, it's themed, you know, it's inspired by Downton Abbey. And what happened was Aaron Shark's communications director found out that Ben Terrace had this conversation with his interior designer, snapped all his pictures, and then very stupidly tried to get him to not report the story, which is the first thing you don't ever do if you don't want a story reported is to try to stop it from being reported. And what is the technical term for for this phenomenon? The Streisand effect. Yeah. Streisand effect. Because Barbara Streisand once tried to suppress photos of her, like, coastal estate. Yes. Only making it... A, more, ph- a photographer studying yeah. coastal erosion in California snapped all these pictures of beachfront property, including hers. It was just for research. No one in the in the world cared about the photo until Barbara Streisand tried to get it taken down, yeah. and then suddenly everybody was looking at Barbara Streisand's house. Okay, so so people got interested in how Aaron Shark was spending his time and spending his money. Well, and, and it was amazing because I thought this was going to end with just a terrific story from Ben Terrace, which was it was hilarious. He could have done like a nothing story about about this guy's office, which no one would have cared about. But the fact that the guy was protesting so heavily throughout the piece about trying to, you know, he had it in, Ben right. Terrace had it in his story. The comms director was trying to crush the story, made it really, really interesting. And so then everybody was like, huh. Maybe we should. Who, like, who's paying for these? For this, like, really ostentatious and uh, you know, conspicuously consume-oriented office? Yeah. So, uh, so shock's gone. It looks like the the killing blow is dealt by Politico, who uncovered the fact that uh, Shock had claimed, I think, one hundred and seventy thousand uh, miles worth of mileage reimbursement for his for his personal vehicle. It turns out that he had sold the vehicle, and at the time of the sale, the vehicle only had eighty thousand miles on it. So, unless I, I love that uh, amazingly clever way of finding out the miles were a sham. Oh, wow! Yep. How did good, they good get, sleuthing? How did they get the? I mean, I guess you have to it's you just, have to list the mileage when you sell a car. They got good reporters. That's they have that's good, good reporters. Work. I'm sure <laughs> they probably they probably found some way of tracking the VIN number and then tracing the VIN number along its point of sale and then determined that. 
the claims didn't match the actual reality of the car. But there, I mean, a lot of hilarious stuff had come out. I mean, the guy who originally tried to suppress the photos turned out to be, uh, to have, uh, what, what was it? What were his misdeeds? He had said a lot of really nasty stuff on Facebook about. Wait, that's the same it. guy? Yeah. Okay. So I, I mean, it, it was just a cascade yeah. of absurdly yeah, absurd um, stories. Yeah, he lived in, he lives, he, yeah, that guy lived in Washington. This Aaron Shock staffer, communications director, he lived in Washington uh, and was like upset that there were black people in Washington. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like being upset there's like snow in Vermont. God damn, it's cold up here. <laughs> Fuck this cold. Vermont needs to do something about it. Which, I mean, was basically what Chocolate he said City, on Facebook, and it was, like, not... It was pretty... They were, they were pretty distasteful comments. So, so Jason... distasteful. Yeah. There was yeah. a... There's a, a sad element to this story that you explored... Yeah. ...in a post this week. Why don't, Just tell us about well, what's sad about okay, this. Okay, what's sad about this is that, is that uh, you know, <clears throat> corruption in our government is rampant. Rampant, rampant, rampant. And and what's sick and sad about the way our government works now is that there's been a series of of uh, Supreme Court rulings that have sort of substantially underpinned this new campaign finance regime that's like really super corrupt, dark and secret. Uh, and it, it, it in, in our campaign finance reality is, is that every single person in the legislature is, you know, essentially on the take. Unless they're somehow heroically preventing themselves from being because if they want to keep their jobs, they need yeah. tons of money from in the Supreme Court's mind. Interests. In the Supreme Court's mind, government corruption now solely equals a quid pro quo bribe, in which there's like a real currency that can be traced to a real decision made by a real legislator, in in, in which the person who provided a a, a, a tangible. Uh, you know, sum of money in a paper in bag, in a, a brown, paper bag, and it, and it had to be a brown paper bag, kind of right. crumpled, ideally stuffed in the freezer, like uh, like Representative William Jefferson of Louisiana back in the day. Remember that dude? Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, and what 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 really our campaign finance system has 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 managed to become is this sort of like very uh, fluid system in which essentially special interest groups, major corporate interests. Uh, bribe officials all the time, but it, it's so dark and invisible and fungible that you can't track there's no contract. Like a dollar for a decision. Right. There's, there's no contract that says for this $10,000, right. you will vote against the you know Affordable Care Act. Right. It, so, it's just, but that you nevertheless. So what's uh, sad about this is that there's a full, we, 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 we're literally like waist deep in a sea of corruption in Washington. You had a good example in your story. There's a few good examples. I mean, just this week, um, you know, Paul Blumenthal reported on how uh, the payday lending industry uh, funded a lot of campaigns and got a lot of favorable uh, votes from legislatures of legislators um, through dark money donations to people's campaign platforms. We, we, there's an example. Uh, there's a bill called the Frank Lautenberg Chemical Safety Bill uh, that's that's uh, making its way through Congress. Uh, in, in which it was re- revealed that the one of the uh, the co-chairs of the bill, uh, Udall from New Mexico, uh, shared the bill with uh, one of the polluter lobbies, the American Chemistry Society. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Society or something. Uh, and, 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 you know, a team of reporters got a hold of the, the uh, material and found this, the, the lobbyist digital signatures all over it. On the PDF document on the ledger. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, they were able to, they literally were just like, tell us what you think about the bill. And then Udall's office had the gall to say, it was like, well, we reached out to stakeholders to make the best bill possible. It was like, you don't know. It's not the best bill possible. If you've like reached out to the people you're trying to regulate and be like, tell us how we cannot hurt you. Yeah, and the, and the thing, Thing is the the people who are uh, putting their digital fingerprints on the bill yeah. are the people who they who lawmakers have lunch with yeah and and these are ostensibly like clean and okay meetings where people, people you don't pay under- a campaign and you have lunch with a congressman and nothing quid pro quo people don't happens. understand that like the bulk of what a congressman does in his daily life is he calls people and asks for money yeah and so there's so little time to actually like have original thoughts about policy. That you know, sometimes the same people that they're calling on the phone are like, "Well, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll write that law for you." Yeah, or or talk talk <laughs> to my friend Chris; he'll write it up. Yeah, he'll write it up. And, and so and so, you know, I think a lot of people have this conception that on Capitol Hill we have like legislators who come here and do a lot of original thinking and a lot of like uh, crunching data and reality and talking to people and developing these kind of like original ideas about policies. No, that is not what Congress is. Congress is by and large a, 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 a few hundred empty vessels into which major corporate interests and lobbyists fill ideas that they then parrot back and make into law. Now, stakeholders are supposed to do You're legitimately not, have input on legislation, being, but it's, you know, there's a hearing process for the country is not being run and laws are not being created by the pure products of a legislator's imagination. Yeah. But Aaron Aaron Shock had a funny yeah. But the office. thing and the thing is is that so we caught Aaron Shock. This is what's sad. We caught Aaron Shock for some penny ante bullshit. He didn't you know, do the miles shit. right. Yeah, miles shit. Yeah, I mean it's, it's I think I think taxpayers have a right to be aggrieved. I'm not saying we let him off the fucking hook, but like what we don't do is we don't have this fucking hallelujah chorus where we're like yeah we got one we got it's, him. What you're basically saying? Him. I don't I don't think we have that. We don't nail shit. I don't, I don't think people are are spiking we, the football on Aaron. Ah. Uh, you know, you shouldn't have been there on Twitter that day, but but, but people uh, were just making myself included. We were just making Downton Abbey jokes. Maybe so, maybe so. But like, <laughs> you know, it's 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 a really slight accomplishment 
it's like ba- drumming. You're Aaron saying Schock you're, you're you're really saying Arthur's going to love this one. You're you're basically saying that Aaron Shock fouled out on a hand check when everybody else has been throwing elbows the whole game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Traveling. Yeah. Yeah. It's like fouling out on traveling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's like the refs in the UVA Maryland game. Actually, that's pretty good. Traveling, it was. Right. He did it was traveling. <laughs> yeah. Tra- <laughs> so we got Aaron Shock, but like you got to understand that like, you know, there are so many heads that need to go on so many pikes in this town that like. Wow, that is a violent metaphor. The one doesn't have. satisfy me. The one doesn't <laughs> satisfy me. Sports metaphor. Yeah, I want flagrant. We all know. <laughs> I want you know. I like to see a little more blood in the street. Well, to be perfectly honest. Hey there, listener of this podcast. I've got a quick little thing I'd love to chat with you about. Are you a regular So That Happened listener? Well, let us know. Send me an electronic communication with your electronic communicating devices at so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Tell us what you think of the show, what we're messing up, and who you'd like to hear more from or more about. Okay, back to the program. This is really silly. Okay, so a lot of us here in this office are familiar with the work of Liz Mayer. She's a Republican consultant, uh, communications consultant. Very nice uh, woman. Super nice woman. And Busy one of the, on Twitter. One of, the best, one of the best interviews in the world because she's, like, unfiltered, honest. Like me, she's wired for cynicism. She's great. So um, she was briefly hired by Scott Walker's campaign to uh I, I don't I don't want to inflate her title because she was like don't inflate my title but she was essentially hired to do contract work in digital social media for Scott Walker. She was the international <laughs> president of all things Scott Walker. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a Im- job inflation. Sorry. All right. Uh I'm a senior political economy reporter. So so what what ended up happening were two things. One um <laughs> one is uh she she tweeted some frankly Honest things about the Iowa GOP and what a bunch of gang of fuckups they were, and and how they uh, dragged the party rightward by 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 virtue of their first in the nation primary caucus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most coddled goddamn state in the union. So every, every because it's the first contest in a primary, all the Republicans pander to Iowa as right. part of the candidate. It's just like uh, not a everyone, representative state at all. Everyone panders to Iowa except for Liz Mayer and me. We're like Iowa. You're not that great. Sorry. You're okay. It's kind of nice in Iowa. Whatever. Slipknot. kind of pretty. Whatever. Corn. Whatever. So, okay. uh, Omaha's right across the river. I mean. So, so, uh, Democratic oppo people fed, like, some of these, like, kind of, like, frank tweets about the Iowa GOP to the Des Moines Register. Simultaneously, (laughs) those freak jobs at Breitbart started attacking Liz Mayer for her uh, non-orthodox views on any number of issues. Liz uh, Liz is not a nativist crank on immigration. She's uh, pro-gay marriage. Uh, uh, I, I, I believe she is in some ways more pro-abortion or pro, pro-choice than other Republicans. So uh, they, she shows human compassion on right, it. Right. part is a real weird right. website. And they really tore after her. They even put up a... They even, like put up an article insinuating there's something dark about the fact that she's a dual citizen uh, with the United States and the UK. And and I, she was asked by this reporter, Matt Boyle, who who I, my friend Megan Carpentier refers to as Derek, so I'm going to insist that for the rest of the podcast, if we're going to talk about Matt Boyle, we call him Derek. Um, 
Uh, <laughs> Wait, why? <laughs> I, it's a long story, and it's better told by Megan Carpentier. So email Megan Carpentier and be like, why do you call Matt Boyle Derek? It's a great story. Okay, okay. listeners, do that. <laughs> okay, so so, uh, so Derek wrote a thing that he literally asked her, uh, is American citizenship not good enough? And it was like, she is an American citizen. Like, it is... It, to the extent that American citizenship is good, she's an American citizen. You know who else had dual citizenship? With? Samantha Lockman, HuffPost reporter Sam, Sam Lockman. I was going to say citizen. Winston Churchill. Oh, I didn't know that about Winston Churchill. We made him an honorary citizen. Well, there you go. Also a giant fuck-up in World War I. <laughs> yeah, well, really? he made up for that, Zach, yeah. didn't he? he? He really pulled a fucking rabbit out of the hat with World War II. It is amazing. He did, man. His blunders in the Dardanelles Strait. Really yeah. stayed with you. Yeah. A lot of people died in Gallipoli. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Well, anyway, I think saving the free world more than makes up for So what's crazy is that Liz... I think I'm, ten- I'm tempted to agree. What's crazy is that Liz uh, was now been forced out by Scott Walker. Uh, well, Scott Walker accepted her resignation. It's just crazy, right? So people... Uh, wait, I- wait, wait, Breitbart actually succeeded in forcing Liz Mayer out because... No, 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 no. The uh, uh, Republican... The Iowa Republican Party demanded her resignation, and it wasn't because of the Breitbart stuff. Though that's the Iowa fire. stuff. It was because of the mean tweets about Iowa. And so a lot of people uh, ran with that and said it was the third in a, in a string of examples of Scott Walker pandering to Iowa. The most notable prior one was he switched his position on ethanol subsidies, which are a, a conservative boogeyman. Because we, uh, you know, they they inflate the price of gasoline, and it's green tech oriented, and they don't help, and they they are so politically powerful because they disproportionately benefit far- farmers in Iowa. So people like Tim Carney were saying, Scott Walker, sure he can stand up to unions and people who are already his political enemy, but when it comes to special interests and people on quote, our side, he's just going to roll over and do what they say. Yeah. So so he was getting beat up hard over this Liz Mayer thing. I think people said this proves that Scott Walker's a wimp. It's when it because comes outside of the Breitbart community, Liz Mayer actually has a lot of respect in the Republican Yeah, I, it, it does partly reflect I mean, her, her popularity, but I, I think... A lot of people respect her in general. It fit a story that had, that had been developing about Scott Walker that actually I think will be damaging to him potentially... Although, I, I mean, if I was happy, I, I guess I should take that back. Can, can we also just say what a bunch of thin-skinned wimps the Iowa Republican Party are? Oh, easily, the easily. Most, the, the most yeah. pandered-to state in, in yeah. America, as if this whole country is a bunch of fairs where they make uh, things out of butter. No. Most people live in cities. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry, Iowa. <laughs> Even you, most Iowans live in cities. It is just not a... They, rep- hold, they hold the process hostage with their first of the nation caucus and i mean like most hostage takers they at least have the temerity to not whine at you when you're like hey i don't like being held hostage oh yeah well i'm just trying my best okay what what, you don't like the restraints they put you in you know fuck you i work hard i work hard at taking hostages i'm a hard-working hostage taker i don't deserve this i don't deserve this that's iowa Crybaby fucks. Iowa GOP. Anyway, the the, pe- the people I have talked to in Iowa have always been really, really great. I have really, ne- I have never encountered a mean. Right, person. we're talking about the. Oh, there you go, there you go with your Iowa pandering. Yeah, I always had a really good time when I was in Iowa, but I never here's go for political thing. campaigns. You know what? Here's would probably the thing. Be insufferable. And here's the thing. I don't hate. I don't hate Iowans, but like a little cutting against the pandering is a good thing. 
Like a little, hey, you're not that fucking special. That's good. You know, people, That's good. People remind me of that, and it makes me stronger. People you know? dump on Virginia all the time because there are right. all sorts of things about Virginia that are not yeah. great. You know, being Virginia's like the that international head of the slave trade for a long time. Uh, yeah. You know, there's some rough suburbs. It's It's tough. But when they say that, I don't say, you know what? You need to lose your job. You need to be fired. I say, fuck you, man. Virginia rules. <laughs> Doesn't, but whatever. <laughs> oh, I was born on Capitol Hill. Yeah. Oh. Tough guy Arthur from a real urban environment. Yeah. Anyway, Too really. Too big for the suburb. Ad hominem <laughs> is, a, is a rhetorical fallacy. Yeah. What a really, what a, what a crazy thing <laughs> to is. happen. It's not fair. Really crazy Jeez. thing to happen. Uh, Liz Mayer, like me, big Arsenal fan, so... You know, I wish her the best. There you go with your violent metaphors again. You love Arsenal's. It's a, it's a soccer team. Yeah, well, the teams that I like are called the you Cavaliers. Should, should not sock women. We just the, have the Cavaliers, uh, named after the to- the Tories. What are you talking? No, no, it's just they they have they have sort of a flippant attitude about things. Mm, okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure, sure, okay. Um, they're they're kind of smug. One last one last thing. I, very smug. One last thing. One last thing I want to talk about is how um, Howard Schultz of Starbucks like cured racism this week. Did you guys hear about oh, that, this? This was so weird. So amazing. We're like racism's over thanks to coffee. Well, uh, what? Just explain. Uh, what all right. So you know, brown. I guess. So uh, Howard Schultz, Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, uh, which is a coffee concern you may have heard of. Uh, revolutionized, kind of really revolutionized coffee business in in a lot of innovative ways. And what's interesting about Starbucks is that you know for their, the dominance of their chain uh, has nevertheless so uh, uh, altered over the course of decades uh, the sort of like taste for coffee among most mm. Americans that it's actually allowed a lot of smaller coffee businesses to flourish in its wake as well. So it's an interesting business. Um, Pay the but, workers pretty well. Seems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my sisters work at Starbucks. Treated decently. Treated decently. Um, uh, that's a point of contention. I think labor. Okay. Uh, yeah, we won't have, have pilloried Starbucks they could, a little bit, haven't they? I don't know. Everybody I knew who worked for them like kind of was always like, yeah, it's pretty. All right. We'll, we'll probably hear a lot of stories now because we we brought it up. But okay. But the the Schultz Schultz is not just good enough to be like I guess a coffee guy. He I, Schultz has the feels the need to be a thought leader. As well, and and previous previous experiments of Howard Schultz thought leading was the come together thing, where he was just like, you know what, we'll solve the government shutdown by writing come together on coffee cups, and there's never been a government shutdown or even a moment of contention in Congress since. Uh, this time around, he was like, let's do something called race together, where we're gonna put a sticker on your coffee cup that says race together, and then he was like. And feel free to have a conversation about racial issues in America with your barista, right. which is like, which is like the fuck you say? He's like, trying, man. He's trying. But it's uh, like literally, like it's not just good enough to like just come and get my coffee. Like the baristas have to be responsible for maintaining a high level dialogue on race issues in the United States too. Like, I mean, who the fuck like signed up for that? It does seem like you're asking for there to be a lot of really, really tense conversations in the Starbucks, but uh, in your, in your business, but, but come on, he's trying. He, I mean, we, we do have problems with race relations and I think they would get better if we talked about them more instead of just like, you know, had like Fox and but NBC. But at Starbucks with the barista, like you make the barista. He, he runs Starbucks. Wait, he can't, he can't change the dialogue on cable TV. He runs Starbucks. That's where he, he can. Here, he here is give... your uh, latte. Have you atoned for three centuries of slavery <laughs> and racial discrimination 
encoded in the law. Right. Uh, no, but I'm in favor of reparations, which would thank take you. away so, my mind. Thank you for my <laughs> so coffee. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> so a bunch of reporters actually went around to a bunch of Starbucks to see if anyone would talk about race with them. Uh, <laughs> the finest by far... Was the was was the, was the article written by B. Jolie Shaw for the Frisky, um, in which she went to five Starbucks in New York City, and was not a coffee drinker, <laughs> <laughs> and she ordered like five coffee drinks and attempted to like have conversations about race with the baristas, and like in one example they ran into some uh, coffee roaster who was in the who was in, on the premises who was able to pair it sort of like the corporate, like, kind of, like, bland, like, here's what it's all about. So, so, so some baristas really uh, now, met this challenge. The one well, guy. one guy did. The one guy did with the flashcards he was given by corporate. <laughs> and everybody else was like, I don't know. I'm, do you want to really talk about race? <laughs> <laughs> and then she went back. then she went back to meet with her editor, and apparently she didn't realize it, but she was speaking so fast, having drank five cups of coffee that everyone's like, you need to calm down. <laughs> um, go, go read that story. B. Jolie Shaw and the Frisky. She's, she's wonderful. Very funny reporter. Very funny it's, writer. It's great that she doesn't drink. I'm always, I'm always looking for other people who don't drink caffeine. Uh, cause I, I converted, uh, last year and I'm a total proselytizer, but I love it. Shut up. So yeah, you're a proselytizer about caffeine, but are you a proselytizer about race relations? Does coffee make you want to, I feel like if everybody drank less caffeine, they probably wouldn't get so worked up over, you know, they, I, th- I feel like uh, white people wouldn't be as sensitive about you know the whole slavery thing <laughs> you know you watch you watch like uh i was when i watched like the five and stuff i think the five was talking about this issue on on fox which is an amazing program because it, it just is like straight to the heart of the like of the the like white the conservative white guy id it totally that show totally lives up to its name there are five people their conversations are five out of ten yeah i don't know i feel really fivey after i watch it like I'm like five, but they're but they're off. They're really they're really touchy on race stuff. They're always really touchy, and it's it's always like a bunch of white people being like, ah, no, you cannot ever say that white people ever did anything. And, bad. and that's because they had too much coffee. Is that your point? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't think that's why. <laughs> so, what are there businesses better suited than Starbucks to maybe like have a conversation about race? Maybe uh, maybe a uh, a like large media company could facilitate this conversation. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's interesting how hard it is to talk about race, though. Like, even with your, with friends and family who you're close with, it is, it is a very, very difficult topic to, to, to broach. And you, you can't just, like, sort of start a conversation and start talking about race. It has to, if, even, even when it, a conversation does get to the topic of race, that's when it, that's when it becomes awkward. Nobody says, hey, uh, so, you know, Dave, you're my black friend. Um, <laughs> what's it like, you, uh, you being black? I mean, it seems a lot different than it is for me being white. And you never, we would never say that. You'd never say that to Dave. It would make Dave feel uncomfortable. It would make you feel uncomfortable. Everybody would feel bad about that. Right. And yet, the reason it makes people feel bad is because there are there are differences. They, socially, there are socially constructed differences that make life different for people of color than for people uh, who are not of color. Uh, and 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 we do, it's like you know, there are other areas of society where there are differences between people, but I feel like it's just not quite as difficult to talk about uh, about about there being um, you know, there, there being. Discrimination, or, or, or uh, you know, whatever, whatever you. Are you sure you don't drink coffee? I, I feel like you are perfectly living up to the the race with us challenge. You're doing a good job. Yeah, race together. <laughs> so by drinking, so I'm not sure I follow. I just feel like you, uh, you did a, you did a nice. You're t- doing a nice job. And so, co- so you were conceding you know, my point that drinking coffee. Oh no, you're object rejecting my point. 
I'm I, trying to figure out where I it is. I don't know what I'm doing. To I'm be honest sorry. with you, as a as a as a total waspy white guy, like I feel like what I need to do is not so much participate in a conversation as I need to like sit back and listen, read, listen to other people, seek out other voices, you know, try to use Twitter to like find more diverse viewpoints in my own. Have more black friends. Yeah, and just like and just like just like sort of like instead of like constantly trying to interject what I think about shit into a conversation, instead Absorb, learn a little bit. Uh, you know, I read two. There are two. Uh, I would, you know, thanks to Twitter, I read two really great books last year by Keith Lehman, uh, uh, and taught me a lot about you know the black moms and black sons, uh, and what what that's like. It's a completely different world, completely different way of organizing your life, and you know, it was you know kind of like brought me close to the whole notion of what privilege really means. It's fa- fantastic books. I feel like uh, Roxanne Gay last year uh, put out two really good books that explore the same theme. So, you know, just like but, I mean, reading take the helps. opportunity to like expand your network a little bit and, and do a, lo- a lot more listening. Uh, you know, you can learn a lot. I think reading helps, but I, I think um, I, I think people people don't get like people don't get persuaded about big things like like race or, or gender. Um, by by listening to like philosophical debates and arguments, I, I think they 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 change their minds and they 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 become um, less hostile by by just having to be immersed with people who are different. That's true. And and so I I mean I think it's one reason why diversity is really really important. It's not just you know when we when we look at at things like affirmative action, we tend to look at it from a very individualistic perspective, and we don't look at at, at it from the perspective of hey you know when when we actually immerse ourselves together. The differences actually start to to break down. We we start being part of the same community, um, and we don't look at each other as as being other and different and weird. We look at each other as being Frank and Steve and you know Jenny or whoever. Um, and and I I th- I think that's how things have changed throughout history too. I mean I think I think you see societies change not because you have a lot of big thought leaders going around telling people here's how you ought to think, but people just have to live to, to live together. And unfortunately, with the way race works in, in American society, we have we still have a very segregated society. Even you know like when I when I went to UVA, there were tons of uh, there were tons of black students at UVA, but the the student body was very very segregated. Yeah, it, it was when I was there too. It was very segregated, and yeah. it was ve- you know it wasn't because we didn't have enough black students. I think as a percentage of the population, UVA was pretty good um but but people didn't people didn't mix mix it up um and and that was i I think that's we've got to find a way to get to get people to mix it up if we're gonna if we're gonna make race better i don't think you get there just by debates yeah probably so well there's our awkward conversation about race you know but you know i think probably uh i'm maybe starbucks is on to something because i think like probably what it takes is like a million and one fumbling failed attempts to sort of like connect isn't it i, I kind of i'm kind of so, I'm, I'm i'm on howard schultz's team three here on this super one. white people i totally am Dude, siding with trying him. that here yeah like he's I, but come on he's sure this is like a goofy attempt and it's sort of botched but he's he's trying to do something and now look everybody's talking about race so like i mean to some extent it's kind of a success you wow. win howard all right <laughs> that okay zach's gonna back howard schultz on this <laughs> now i feel bad but not that bad um all right thanks guys Good work. Yay. Yay. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced and edited by Brad Shannon with Ibrahim Balki, Christine Canetta, and Adriana Ucero. 
I'm Jason Lincolns. This week, we are joined by HuffPost senior politics reporters Zach Carter and Arthur Delaney. So That Happened is available on iTunes. Please check us out in the iTunes store for the Huffington Post's whole family of podcasts. Subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something else you'd like to hear us talk about, please send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. As always, thanks for listening. We miss you already. All righty. Well, I'll take my coffee cup. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.